You're listening to episode number nine of Strike the Match. In this episode, I talk about the stewardship of kingdom innovation. If Jesus is indeed building his church and we are filled with a dynamic spirit, then we should expect change and we need to adjust and move forward as he so leads us in days to come. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist, Dr. J.B. Bay. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.B. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out uh, this podcast. I've really been looking forward to addressing this particular topic for for some time, so I'm just going to go ahead and jump in and get started. Let me ask you guys a question just to get us thinking, just to get us uh, moving forward. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Uh, just in general, in, in church life in particular, in, in, in evangelical circles, uh, especially within the United States, what do we typically do uh, when we do not know what to do? And often the answer is, the, 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 the practical reality is, is that we, we continue doing more of what we have been doing uh, with, the, with the hope that things will change, with the hope that things will, will come out uh, differently. Uh, this is not the way of kingdom citizens. This is not the way of the wise kingdom steward. And, and, and keep in mind, stewardship has much more to do uh, with life in the kingdom than just money. Uh, we, that is very much clear teaching throughout, throughout Scripture. To do more of what we know is safe, it is comfortable, it fits our longstanding systems and organizations and strategies and traditions. But we have a decline in baptisms. Uh, we have membership issues. We have money problems that are affecting uh, churches and affecting different institutions and uh, within the kingdom. Fewer people are going to mission agencies. Seminary enrollment challenges are a reality that's out there uh, for a great number of schools. Um, lostness continues. The, the unengaged and unreached remain in that state as well. We do more and more of what we know, expecting change, hoping the challenges will be overcome, and expecting new results. That's often our response when we don't know what to do. We believe uh, what we've done to get us to where we are today uh, will be sufficient to carry us to new heights, new vistas. Uh, But we forget that to get to where we are today uh, actually required previous generations to make, and here, listen carefully, to make systemic shifts in their methodologies. The hard decisions of that generation created our comfort zones for today. More of what we know is not sufficient for the next level where we need to go. Uh, Creating a new veneer is not sufficient. Rearranging the deck chairs will buy a little time for us, but we've already tried most of the possible chair formations. Such is not the way of wise kingdom stewards. More of what we know is only sufficient for a season, and that season has passed. When we begin to look around at the world, we see in the world today 4 billion people who are not followers of Christ, and 2 billion of those people uh, who have never even heard of Jesus, have never even heard of the name of Christ. So with, with that reality that's in mind, that with that reality that's before us, I want us to think about that 
concept, that understanding, two billion uh, who have not even heard of Christ and, and, and the issue of the status quo uh, that is before us in, in, in the church, uh, in many parts of, of the world, but specifically within the United States uh, and, and in general across the Western world. Let me start with the definition. When I say status quo, what am I talking about? Well, really, the status quo means the existing state of affairs. And when I talk about innovation, which is what much of this this podcast is moving us toward, uh, when I talk about innovation, I'm talking about the act or the process of introducing something new. So as I said just just a moment ago, the things of yesteryear, the generation, the generations before us had to make shifts and changes in light of where they were, in light of what was taking place in their day and time, that moved them beyond the status quo. They had to do something innovative. They had to make some shifts in light of the global realities to see the gospel advance, to see disciples multiplied, to see churches multiplied. And now with us, we often find ourselves in a state of existing affairs called the status quo, and the need to innovate, the need to to introduce something new. And with that in mind, I want us to think about the fact that when it comes to healthy growth and healthy multiplication, uh, leaders need to keep these two definitions at the forefront of their thinking. Uh, while it may seem cool to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm against the status quo or, or I'm all for innovation, that is not the way of kingdom citizens either. The existing state of affairs is not always evil. Uh, and, and while there are times uh, such matters do indeed deserve to be dismantled, uh, do uh, indeed deserve a wrecking ball, so to speak, uh, to the st- existing state of affairs, generally that's not the case. Uh, it is often not helpful for kingdom advancement when we destroy what has been developed over years, decades, sometimes even centuries. Also, But we should refrain from saying, uh, I'm against innovation. I'm all for the existing state of affairs. This is unhealthy, of course, as well. Kingdom citizens must be engaged in innovation. Uh, The world is a place of constant change. We must be students of God's world and respond appropriately. The failure to innovate is an example of poor kingdom stewardship. Think with me for a second. Let's turn our attention to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is filled with examples of the church innovating while building on that which was already established. I know we don't often think of it that way, but that's what we have. For example, the widows, Acts chapter 6, they were not neglected because the gospel needed to advance in new areas. They, they, uh, the Jerusalem church, for example, was, was not dismantled because the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 had received the Holy Spirit. Uh, what was established in Jerusalem and Samaria did not unravel when the Spirit started baptizing Gentiles into the kingdom. When we see Cornelius and his household, Acts chapter chapter 10 and others in Acts chapter 11. The Jerusalem Council uh, did not require uh, discarding of the matters in the Gentile world. Uh, When we get to Acts chapter 15, Paul and Silas, they didn't give up and go back to Antioch when their strategy was interrupted a couple times in Acts chapter 16. Throughout the book of Acts, we read of a spirit-led body of Christ on mission in a world filled with pressures and filled with change that was taking place all around them. And while the existing state of affairs was not being scrapped for something new, here it is. There was a continual need for adjustment in light of sanctification, unreached peoples, and gospel proclamation. 
Innovating upon the status quo is a good thing. Being locked into the existing state of affairs, that's a bad thing. In light of the two billion people in the world who have never heard of Jesus, we must not lock ourselves down with the status quo. In light of the two billion people in the world who have never heard of Jesus, we must build upon that which has gone before us. So let's talk about this notion of the stewardship of innovation. The church has always been called to a stewardship of innovation. While this terminology, of course, has not existed across 2,000 years of church history, uh, the expectation has always been present. We may rarely speak using such language, which is something I hope changes in our time, but the biblical model for innovation is ever before us. Innovation of this type is not the equivalent, and I, and I, I want us to, to really understand this, it's not the equivalent of that which occurs with a technology company or, or a fast food corporation. The, the church is not in the business of secret discoveries and shipping new products to market before someone else does. Uh, rather, the stewardship of innovation involves following the Spirit into a world filled with multiple pressures as we carry out the Great Commission and make necessary changes along the way. And there is the issue of change. Most local churches, denominations, agencies, and institutions do not like change and are not structured for change. As I was just talking just a moment ago, we, we, we like the status quo. We like the status quo even when we know that the status quo is not getting us to where we need to go. We evangelicals, and I'm considering myself in this category as well, we evangelicals are the utmost conservatives when it comes to our organization and structure. We're often slow to change. And once we do, we set such organization and structure in concrete. While stability is necessary for mission, we've got to have it in place. We've got to have structure. We've got to have organization in place. While stability is necessary for, for, for mission, such actions may reveal just how resistant we are to any future change and the Spirit who leads us to change. So I want you to keep these theological truths in mind. So think about this. If, if Jesus is building his church, Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, Matthew 16. If Jesus is building his church, then we as his church, should indeed expect change. Remember, he's intimately involved with his church. I will build my church, is what he said. He's intimately, he's intimately involved with his church. And so he, he's a part of this process. Uh, the, and, and he knows that change is necessary. Here's a second theological statement I want you to think about. If, if we are filled with a dynamic spirit, if we're filled with a dynamic spirit, then we should expect change. Uh, the Spirit is not static. Uh, he is dynamic. We see this throughout the whole, 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 whole you know, canon of Scripture from Genesis to, to Revelation. He, and he's, he's, intimately, he's intimately involved with his church. You know, we, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the notion of continually being filled with the Spirit. So if Jesus is building his church, and if we're filled with a dynamic Spirit, we should, we should indeed expect change. It's a part of what the Lord desires for His people as they move forward in this process, co-laboring with Him 
as he is building his church through the preaching of the word, through the sanctification that the Spirit is bringing uh, into uh, the, the lives of people who are presently walking in darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light. Therefore, if that's the case, therefore, the stewardship of innovation really means that we must anticipate and make wise adjustments as we labor for the multiplication of disciples, leaders, and churches. Sometimes such adjustments are small. Sometimes such adjustments are massive. The call to follow Jesus is a call to remove from our vocabularies the phrase, we've never done it that way before. Innovation often takes us in new directions while building on the labors of those who have gone before. Remember, we just talked about, as we just talked about widows, we just talked about uh, gospel reaching the, the, the Samaritans, the, the Gentiles, the Jerusalem Council. Uh, innovation involves us taking new directions while building on that which has been established. Reading of Acts makes this very clear. Throughout the book of Acts, for example, the church often had to innovate for mission as the Spirit led into new frontiers. As kingdom citizens, we are often required to change our general ways of thinking and functioning for the health of the church and gospel advancement. Structures, institutions, organizations, and traditions are to remain nimble and held loosely. But, but that's not what we do, right? I mean, we, we, we don't want them to be nimble. They, we, that we want them to be rigid, and we want to hold on to those uh, with a very firm grip. But they, they're to be held nimble, and, be, and they're to remain nimble and be held very loosely. When the church resists spirit-led change and the need to innovate in light of global circumstances that we should soon find ourselves, or we will soon find ourselves, really impotent in a world of great need. So we need to expect change. We need to we need to embrace the old. That's a very important thing. We need to embrace the old and we need to engage. We need to engage the new. So as we think about innovation and mission, I want to spend just a couple more moments talking about innovation in the scriptures. Just to kind of press in on this just a little bit more. Um we've got to understand that when we talk about innovation, in the kingdom, or innovation and mission, so to speak. It's, it's not rocket science. Uh, we, we, we've got to keep that in mind. Uh, innovation in the book of Acts, we, we, what do we see? We, we read that innovation to overcome significant barriers to gospel advancement was really a matter of following the leadership of the spirit of mission. So, for example... We'll just take a look at, we'll just think for a second, Acts chapter 10, the reception of the gospel and, and, and the spirit by the God-fearers in Cornelius' house. Another example, for example, to consider is Acts chapter 11, the, the birth of the church in Antioch. Acts chapter 16, how, how the gospel gets to Philippi and the church's birth there. And, you know, in each of those three situations, in each of those three situations, the believers, the followers of Christ, they were required to change their general way of functioning and thinking. However, once the institutional organizational adjustments were made, sometimes with great reservation and sometimes by force, the gospel continued to expand beyond the socio-cultural barriers. I mean, you think about what Peter went through to get to Acts chapter 10 and to, to, to preach to Cornelius and his household and to stay there. I mean, you, you think about um, you know, what took place as... 
as change and adjustment had to occur as they were fleeing persecution, Acts chapter 8, and unknown or unnamed men travel up to Antioch to preach the gospel, Acts chapter 11. But you think about Acts 16, Paul and Barnabas, uh, excuse me, Paul and Silas, second missionary journey, try to get into Asia to preach the gospel, and it says the Spirit of Jesus prevented them. Then they try to go into Bithynia to preach the gospel, and it says the Spirit prevents them from doing that as well. I mean, you think about the things that they had to go through, the things that they had to adjust, they had to change, they had to they had to hold their structures loosely. They had to be nimble, so to speak. So Jesus will build his church. We know that's the fact. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. That's not a matter of debate. The question of concern for us, and this is so important, is will he work through us, through my church, through me, through, through my agency, through my denomination, th- through, through us? Will he work through us to build his church? He's going to build it. But will we be a part of that journey with him? And part of that journey with him means that change is going to happen. It's going to occur. We need to understand the challenges of our times, be filled with the spirit of mission, and adjust our methods, our strategies, our organizations, and institutions accordingly. It is a terrible mistake. It is a terrible mistake to avoid spirit-led innovation. But along with change comes what? Comes pain. Yeah. So unfortunately, such adjustments are usually difficult. They're painful in some cases. Uh, you know, as I, as I mentioned just a second ago, we're, we're the ultimate conservatives when it comes to, to making necessary institutional adjustments for missions. And it is sad to write that in many cases, that in many cases, until our pet preferences actually become a burden to us or are cataclysmically removed from our control, uh, sad to say, we are likely to hold on to them, grieving the Spirit while believing we are walking the straight and narrow path for gospel advancement. The body must always be growing in conformity to the head, and innovation is required for such growth. We do not innovate for the sake of innovation. Please understand that. We don't innovate for the sake of innovation. We innovate for the advancement of the gospel as the pressures of the age apply force and create challenges to the mission of the church. And just as the, as the history of mankind is, is filled with examples of innovation that resulted in breakthroughs that reshaped society, the church's innovations in, in, in missions will continue to result in breakthroughs that will glorify the Lord and reshape His bride as she waits for the groom. So, what are your thoughts? Do you see any value in innovation in missions? Uh, are there any dangers? You know, Obviously, there are dangers out there as well. I mean, what, think about some of those innovation dangers that are out there. You know, if so, how can how can we avoid things that are unhealthy as we as we move forward in in the days to come? These are things that I want to encourage you to think about. These are things that I want you to pray through. These are things that I want you to discuss with other people in your circles of influence. We 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 want a story. We want we want to know what works. Um. We, we love signs. We, 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 we ask for signs. Uh, among uh, other followers of Christ, um, we, we want to hear stories. We want to hear stories about what's working. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, we, we don't move unless we get a sign or a story of, of something that's working. I recently heard of, of two pastors that were locked in conversation. 
I will not I will not share their their names. Um, but I recently heard two pastors locked in con- in a conversation, and and one shared with the other his thoughts on multiplying disciples and churches, and his ideas were biblical and simple. But here's the here's the Here's the catch. They did not fit the traditional paradigm. They did not fit the structures that were in place. They did not they did not fit into the system that was already in place. And the other pastor replied, you know, I I agree with you. I mean, this is this is what we need to do. This is where we need to go. This is where we need to move forward. But you do it first and get a success story under your belt and then and then my church will do it. Signs stories. Give me a sign. Give me a story. Tell me what's working, and then I'll move forward. Uh, Then I'll consider it. Peter didn't say, show me a model to reach the God-fearers, and and I'll try it. Sometimes you, sometimes you must be the first to go to Cornelius's house. The unnamed men of Acts chapter 11, they didn't say, tell us a success story of what works to reach the Gentiles, and then we'll go to preach the gospel in Antioch. Sometimes, sometimes you must be the first to plant the church in Antioch. Stories. Give us a success story. Uh, Then we'll push in. Then we'll push in when we know it's safe. Safety and the American definition of success are never guaranteed in the kingdom. Don't expect it. Is there a place for wisdom and stewardship in kingdom advancement? Of course, absolutely. But that's different. Having wisdom and walking in discernment and being a wise steward is different from refraining to move forward in a more excellent way until you have a success story, until you have a successful model, if you will, to follow. What if William Carey had waited for a success story? What if David Brainerd uh, had waited for a success story before going to the Native Americans? What if Ralph Winter had required a success story before talking about going to the hidden peoples or the unreached people groups? And Lewis Bush, uh, what if he had, had asked for success stories before emphasizing uh, what we began to, to what, before he emphasized the, the 1040 window that's now a part of our regular vocabulary? We have got to stop asking for a sign, a story of success, before being willing to try something new. Someone has to be the first. How about you and your church? The issue of innovation in the kingdom. The issue of, of being a wise steward and expecting the changes that are around us, knowing that Jesus will, will build his church, knowing that we are filled with a dynamic spirit, knowing that as the gospel goes forward, we don't need to be waiting for a successful model before we press in, trying things that are new, being wise all along the journey with what the Lord has given to us. The Lord has called us to this great stewardship, the stewardship of innovation. The question is, will we indeed embrace it? Will we indeed be wise with it? And will we have the courage to lead out as His Spirit is leading us in this journey of taking the gospel to all nations in our day, in our time, and overcoming barriers and overcoming hurdles and breaking through things that that we never expected that we would be a part of? Are we willing to say yes to that and move forward? with this stewardship of innovation. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.B. Payne. 
You can find JD on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at JD underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.